Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 149 of Left of Skeptic. My name is Brittany Lind. And I am Kayla Moria. And we are a paranormal podcast. Yes, we are. <sighs> Kayla, how are you? I'm great. <laughs> uh, so I have been very busy. It is the the holiday season. Yeah. So we've been doing a lot of crazy, busy stuff. Yeah. But I did get to go and I took some time off and went and enjoyed the rock and roll kamikaze. Oh, my God. I just had a seven-year-old photo of you pop up in my memories. <laughs> We're Andrew WK. You're so pale. <laughs> you have a look of pure joy and there's fake blood dripping out of your mouth. Yep. Yeah, that popped up in my memories today, too. And that's what reminded me to... Include the fact that I went to Rock and Roll Kamikaze. That's awesome. Everybody that performed was so amazing. So badass. That's what I heard. It was it was mint. I know you were very busy, but it was a mint performance. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So just another thing in our Duluth roster that showcases how amazing the talented people are in our community. Oh, yeah. Do you want to explain what the Kamikaze is? Oh, yeah. So the Rock and Roll Kamikaze happens yearly. It's put on by the beautiful Heiko Edwardson, who has been doing this for now. I think this was the 21st year. Oh, it's old enough to drink now. It's old That's enough so to cute. drink now. So basically what he does is he asks these musicians to put their name into a box. Everybody does. And then he draws the name at random and puts them with these different bands. And then... They all come together and they have a month to put put together like a 20-minute set. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't believe this has been going on since before I graduated high school. I know. It's wild to think about, right? Oh. I don't know how big it was when it first started, but since I've been participating, it just gets better and better each year. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. it's a great way to meet new musicians, people. That's how I've met so many people. That's really how I started talking and hanging out with Ryan Nelson. That's how I started talking to Star. Like, all these people that are kind of big names in the Duluth music scene, mm -hmm. that's where we met and started hanging out. I so, mean, yeah, everyone comes together. If you are from the area, I mean, now it's now it's the new Over. year, so we don't, yeah. we're not doing it for another year. But if you have a chance and you're curious about how you can meet other people and start chilling with other Duluth musicians, Rock and Roll Kamikaze is the way to go, for sure. Yeah, De sure. definitely, definitely. How are you doing? I am all right. I accept that. <laughs> well, I mean, you didn't say, I was, if you were like, good, I'd be like, great. If you were bad, I'd be like, mm, but you said, all right. So I accept <laughs> that. Uh, last week was rough. It was just an unbelievably long week full mm -hmm. of anxiety. True. But also jam-packed with events. And I just, I'm, I'm so ready to have a vacation. <laughs> Hell Yes. Hell yes. Uh, but yeah, so I'm just kind of kind of trucking along until then. But I'm telling you, I got senioritis really hardcore. <laughs> I'm like, it's basically done. Dude, why are people asking me to do things? Don't they know before I'm going January on vacation? 2nd? Like, what? The year is over, y'all. We aren't working anymore. Not until 2024. <laughs> it's over now. Let's just roll with it. Literally, just coast down the hill. We're just... You know what? They're not even counting our like current plays in the Spotify rap. So what is even the point? I'm saying. 
Although realistically, we had very few plays last week because it was a remix and everyone's like, I just listened to that. A lot of people have been catching up, so they would have actually just listened to that one not that long ago. Hey, I'm going for it. (laughs) We are almost three years in. We will be hitting the three years in mark soon. The end of next true crime January is three years. And of those three years. Look at us. We took one week. Yeah. Well, two. Well, now two. But before that, yeah. it was. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Two y'all, and three years is not that bad. Y'all, we, we try so hard for you. And we love you and appreciate you. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The amount. But sometimes you bitches need a break. <laughs> <laughs> We're the bitches. <laughs> and sometimes we need a break. Uh, well, I'm excited to hear your story this week. Should we uh, crack on into it? Yeah. Should we crack in sync? We can try. We can crack in Backstreet Boys. One, two, three. I, I think that was pretty good. I think so, too. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. All right. Are you ready for me this week? Yeah. Let's do it. All right. So I am keeping it again in the Midwest. Oh, me too. Me too. Love it. I just feel it feels very maybe wintertime. Wintertime is the time to feel Midwesty. Because we are thinking cozy home vibes. I'm just more like, <laughs> like okay, well, if it's going to snow, we might as well keep where it really snows. Okay. Uh-huh. I mean, it hasn't really been snowing here. No, I know. It's wild. But... Uh, so today I'm going to tell you about the Yonker Farm Children's Museum in Fargo, North Dakota. Ah, uh, North Dakota. Yeah, North Dakota. You know, we like to go and talk about Fargo. Yeah, yeah. Talk about yeah. Fargo. Let's talk about Fargo. They also like hot dish. They do. Lo- they love their hot dish there, from what I understand. Yeah. Located at twelve oh one Twenty Eighth Avenue North, this red brick farmhouse is on the southwest corner of the old Yunker Farm property, which also has other attractions like a dog park and a playground. And it is located off the main drag of Fargo between University Drive North and 10th Street North. Okay. This old 1876 farmhouse was originally built for Farmer Newton Whitman, his wife, and their eight children. Oh, that's too many children. It's <laughs> <laughs> just too many. It is a lot of children. But everyone always has so many children in these stories. <laughs> Newton Whitman was a homie, right? Like, okay. He liked his community. After he built his farmhouse, he donated the leftover bricks to the community to also build a school on his property to be used by the community. This is so much better than all those men who use their wealth to fund the Confederacy. (laughs) Well, I mean, North Dakota wasn't generally funding the Confederacy. No, I know, I know. But so many of our stories. (laughs) I know, that's true. That's true. So Newton was a homie. He was like, hey. I have this leftover stuff. We have our farm. Why don't we build a school for everybody to use on my property? Ugh. That's nice. That's so nice. Whitman, his wife, and their eight children, like, kept on the property before selling it to John and Elizabeth Yunker in 1905. And that's who the, the property was named after, the Yunkers. Okay, but why would Whitman not get credit? Because he's the one who built the school. We'll kind of get... Th- I- Yes, I see what you're saying, but... I was going to say because it's called the Yunker I think it was farm. because they owned it. So they 
built it in 1876. They sold it to the Yonkers in 1905. I think that it was just that the Yonkers had it for such a longer amount of time. I mean, okay, but all right. All right, all right, continue, continue, continue. So the Yonkers were also very uh, fruitful. (laughs) A lot of babies. Yeah, yeah, they raised 10 children on this property, uh, which stayed in the Yonker family until 1968. Uh, it was convenient to have the school located right on their property, I mean, obviously. Yeah. There is even a plaque on the side of the museum in honor of the schoolhouse, the oldest rural schoolhouse still standing in North Dakota. And who gets credit for it? The Yonkers or the other ones? The Whitmans? The, the, I didn't actually look at the plaque, so I don't know. Okay. Well, I hope the Whitmans get well, credit. So John Yonker died in 1929. Elizabeth Yonker continued to run the farm raising turkeys to support her large family. Her okay. son, Lawrence, took over the farm until he retired, and that's when they sold the property in 1968. And that property was donated to the Fargo Park District. So maybe it's the fact that they were the ones that owned it right before it was donated to the Park District, which is why it was put in their name. I guess I could see that, yeah, if they were the ones who actually donated it. I mean. Over 60 years, it was it belonged to the Yonkers. So it makes sense that that's why that happened. I mean, yeah, okay. In 1985, the Junior League of Fargo-Moorhead and the Fargo Park District came up with the idea of turning the farmhouse and the schoolhouse into a children's museum. I love that. The entire property was large enough to offer outside activities as well as the possibilities that could be used on the inside of this beautiful 100-year-old brick structure. With the help of volunteers and generous financial support from the business community of Fargo and Moorhead, the renovations of the building and the development of the outside property was completed in only four years. Which, as we've seen, is actually pretty fucking fast. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) After four years of renovations, the Yonker Farm Children's Museum officially opened in November of 1989. The original building was a two and three quarter story home. The downstairs had a parlor, dining room, and one bedroom. And then the second floor had four big bedrooms. And then there was a three-quarter attic used for animal harness storage. That seems like a really inconvenient place to store. That That's usually like a barn thing. Well, and my thought, too, was in my research, they talked about how Elizabeth Yunker like, raised turkeys. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you don't put harnesses on turkeys. What harnesses are we talking about? I mean, maybe they used to have horses and then they didn't have horses anymore. And they're like, well, this isn't going to fit a turkey. (laughs) Meanwhile, throw it in the attic. (laughs) Okay, that's better than my train of thought, which if anybody here likes Final Fantasy, which they have these game. Yeah, it's a video game. And they have these creatures called chocobos that look like large turkeys and you can ride them around. My brain is like, what if these turkeys were as big as chocobos? I feel like we would be talking about something completely different. You're right. And you're rather than the children's museum. Your logic makes way more sense. (laughs) So we have that going for us. All right. So uh, there's also a long table up there that family members could use to repair animal harnesses during the winter months because apparently they're not riding their chocobos in the middle of winter. Mm, It's very cold in Fargo. At some point in time, a newer two-story addition with a sun deck was also added, but its architecture is similar to the rest of the building, and they made a point to honor the original architecture 
mm, of the first building. They blended it. A new entrance and registration lobby were also added to the original house. It's just an overall warm and inviting kind of building. They also added an elevator tower. They used the original image of a unique windmill and then enclosed a they enclosed it in a wooden clapboard siding that once existed on the original farm. And everything, like everything I was reading about this made a point to state that they were trying to keep up the original vibe. Okay. Keep up the original vibe, but make it ADA accessible. Exactly. Yep. Love that. We love inclusivity on this podcast. Exactly. The museum included lots of stuff for children to do, both inside and outside. Inside, there are many exhibits, including a puppet theater and themes like planetarium, funky faces, under the sea, and where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Not the Carmen San Diego part, but just the where in the world was actually there. <laughs> okay. Outside, uh, children had exhibits to enjoy like Wildflower Meadows, ABC Garden, the Yankee Express, which was a train ride, a carousel, nature trails, the Yunker Bunker, which was a miniature <laughs> golf course, and a picnic area to enjoy lunch that you may have packed with you for your day at the Children's Museum. That sounds like such a delightful outing. It's all beautiful and gorgeous and haunted. Of course it is. Of Why else would we be talking is. about it? <laughs> Obviously. So according to hauntedhouses.com, when a property is being used in a way that pleases a past owner or founder, this act can actually kind of make an environmental trigger that will encourage the ghosts to visit and cheer on the living owner. So in the same way that ghosts get mad when negative or what they perceive as negative changes to their house. Yep. Positive changes makes them all excited rather than mad. Exactly. Okay, okay. Love it, love it. And that seems to be the case with this building. It is said that Elizabeth Yunker loved children. I would hope so. She had 10. (laughs) (laughs) And she would be thrilled with the fact that her house has become a place to educate and entertain children. Beautiful. According to Rich Newman in his book, The Ghost Hunter's Field Guide, this space is said to be the home of an adult female entity. The staff has named this ghost Vanessa, but others feel like this was a member of the Yunker family, most likely Elizabeth. She loved children while she was alive, and she is happy to see her home turned into such a happy place for children, and she visits a lot. That's awesome. I, you know... For someone who had 10 kids, as long as you're not sick of children, (laughs) sounds like a pretty delightful afterlife. Very true. This female entity, a.k.a. Elizabeth, really likes to hang out upstairs where exhibits are targeted towards smaller children's play and activities. Lights have a tendency to flicker on and off. Doors and windows have a mind of their own, opening and closing at will. The elevator in particular is pushed by unseen hands going up and down on its own regularly. When the children have gone and staff members are by themselves, they feel a friendly, warm, unseen presence keeping them company. There is also a second female entity at this time, but it feels more like the presence of a little girl. Mm -hmm. And she haunts the area. Her story is a bit more sad. Of course, she's a child. I know. Uh, So there is a well on the property, as a lot of those old buildings have. 
Oh, no. And the urban legend is that this little girl is the spirit of a child who drowned in that well. Oh, no. A young ghost hunter claimed to have seen her in broad daylight standing next to the well. No evidence was caught, though. And that same young, inexperienced ghost hunter Mm -hmm. felt a pain in his chest like he couldn't breathe, as if he was drowning. And he guessed that she was trying to tell him how she died. That sounds like a really, you know what? No, any any way to die is never going to be fun if a ghost is trying to like imprint it on you. Yeah. Well, and that's, so you'll see in a minute why I'm getting at the young, Yeah, you did a, a little bit of an emphasis there. There was an, there was an emphasis on a slabble. An- <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um. So this place is host to a lot of common haunting activity, such as that with the elevator and the activity that happens with the doors and the windows certainly suggests the presence of an unseen entity. Mm -hmm. Some unnamed staff members have talked to both author Lori Orser and investigator slash author Richard Newman, reporting their paranormal experiences with the female entity inside. No hard evidence that I can find has been published online, and no organized investigations have been allowed inside, as the Yunker Farm Children's Museum didn't want to get the reputation of having a spirit scare children away. They already knew that they do have a spirit, and perhaps they didn't want investigators bothering her or making her more active. Or it could just be that they're like, I really don't want stuff published about our children's museum. Being haunted. Being haunted and perpetuating that myth that people could repeat in front of the children who are paying customers. Yeah, that's not really great for business. Like, hotels, totally different, because you're going to get ghost hunters who want to be there. This is specifically geared towards children. Yep. Yep, exactly. A user named Shadowclaw777 posted in August of 2012 about their experience at the Yunker Farm Children's Museum. I'm pretty sure this is the person that my sources kept referencing as a young, inexperienced ghost hunter. And you'll see why. Okay. Like, I don't want to totally invalidate them because I think they're trying. But you'll see what I mean. Okay. That warning makes me so nervous. Okay, quote, me and two of my friends absolutely love ghost hunting, even if we've only gone on one investigation, which was over a year ago. This is what I can remember from that investigation. Yunker's Farm, a child's museum that's in Fargo where we live, has been known to be haunted by some of the kids and their mother who had died there. This was our first investigation, but we had seen enough ghost hunting shows to understand the basics. Right when we got there, Things felt off. We had all gone there before, but the atmosphere just felt different for some reason. I believe the ghost may have guessed that we weren't just there for what the museum had to offer. I think they knew we were trying to get to go after them to catch them on video or audio. Ghosts are giving them side eye. Like, I know what you're doing here. (laughs) I know what you're doing, but meanwhile, Mm -hmm. I'm just like, or is it that you came in trying to ghost hunt rather than just play with the exhibits? So you felt a vibe. Yeah, or maybe he just has been hanging out with Zach Baggins too much. (laughs) And by hanging out, I mean watching. (laughs) We immediately investigated our favorite site, the well that was hidden behind some trees. One of the kids who had lived there had fallen in and drowned. In this area, there have been sightings of a small girl around the age of five or six in a white dress. 
Also, there have been people claiming they've had difficulty breathing as if there was something pressing against their lungs, not allowing them to breathe properly. That's our first bit of paranormal activity. We were only able to go there for a few minutes at a time because of the difficulty in breathing. It only took me a few moments to realize that what this feeling was, it was like being in a pool when you're swimming underwater and you just run out of air and your lungs begin to scream for oxygen. Okay. Whoever that ghost was, I believe she or he, may have been trying to show us the agony they felt before dying. While explaining this to my two friends, I saw a girl standing behind one of them a few yards back. I froze up and stared hard at her, frozen into one spot in utter fear. Her eyes looked dark, almost completely white. (laughs) I know, I know. But I'm just telling the story. When she began to turn and walk away, I sprinted after her, ignoring my two friends as they yelled for me to come back. When she turned around a tree and was gone. The entire time I had been using my MP3's camera to record everything. I wanted so badly to go back and check if I had caught something of this girl on camera, but I wasn't going to stop filming until our investigation was over in case I missed something. After this, we wandered around, not really looking for any ghosts. After I'd seen her, my two friends had also seen her at different times. We just wanted to get out of there for a breather, but without meaning to, we had found something rather interesting. A small dollhouse, it looked like, but it was old and dirty. There were statues of angels and other figures there with words etched into them. For a few of them, the last words were the names of haunted places. These are the only words I can remember. The fear that they had stricken in me will stay with me forever. The words were, well, house, and tracks. The well, where breathing is said to be difficult and you can see a girl in the white dress. The house, where the door leading to the back room is locked and unlocked and only one person has the key and the tracks where an apparition of a young boy can be seen. We didn't know if any of these were coincidences or if they were just clues to where we should investigate. Either way, they struck fear into our very cores, unnerving us even more than the apparition of the girl had. After seeing these, we decided to leave. The tracks were too busy to investigate at that moment, and no one was allowed into the back room of the house unless you had paid to get in. While reviewing the video I had taken, I noticed something odd. After almost an entire hour dedicated to investigating, I had only seven seconds video. It had been recording the entire time from what I had seen. I immediately wondered if this was a sign that the girl had used my battery's energy to show herself to us. The video, however, randomly disappeared from my MP3 the next morning. I didn't delete it, but it was gone. At that moment, I remember thinking, ghosts are supposed to be more active at night, and we had all that activity during the day. What could be waiting for us in the night if we ever go back there? Despite wanting to go back, we never did. But in our one visit, we did prove that Yunker's Farm was more than meets the eye. This investigation took place last summer in the month of August of 2011 with me and my two friends. We are all 13 years of age, me being almost 14, and we are beginner ghost hunters who had an amazing first investigation. Unquote. Where was the dollhouse? In the woods by the well. And it happened to have... These weird words. Three locations where people... Okay. Yeah. So this is why I said again, young, inexperienced. Mm -hmm. I think they were probably looking for more... Like when we talk to ghost investigators, Mm -hmm. a lot of times they're saying, 
we are trying to disprove things and the things that we can't disprove proves the ghosts. Right. A 13-year-old is probably trying to prove the ghosts and not disprove the ghosts. You know what I mean? Yeah. I I mean, I. this kid now is older than 13. This is 2011. Yes, absolutely. So they are an adult now. Um, <laughs> I don't feel quite as bad. Uh, I, I, uh, I have some, there are some inconsistencies that I have some concerns with. Me too. But um, it was the most solid story I no, had for, for this sure, location. For sure. But the, uh, the ghost draining the battery, but also it was recording the whole time, but, but also, also the, only sec- seven seconds. But also, so it was recording, they drained the battery, seven seconds, and the video just disappeared. Also, it's an MP3. MP3 is an audio file. That was my thought. Yep. Okay. And I, I, I know that this is a weak thing for us to go on. It's probably one of the weakest stories we've had. But I don't know. It was, it was a little interesting. No, I liked it. Sort of. <laughs> Sorry. I'm I, trying not to be I'm, too picky. I'm just like, mm. I am mm. trying to encourage young people to ghost hunt, but then maybe point out like, hey, just don't go automatically with what's in front of you. Like learn from ghost hunters, but don't learn from ghost hunting television shows. Be critical in your thinking and in what you find or think you found. Yep, exactly. Uh, You may notice that I changed tenses more than a couple of times in this story. Oh, well, he's 13. Well, no, I I don't don't even mean with the story. I mean, in general, I changed tenses. It's because I wasn't trying to fully give it away, but it made the story writing a bit difficult. Give it away, give it away, give Give it it away away now. now. Mm -hmm. Sadly, in 2021, the Younger Farm Children's Museum closed for good. No. According to Local Valley News, the sign on the door read, One million guests have made memories at the Children's Museum. We thank you for filling our days with laughter, wonder, discovery, joy, and fun. Yvette Nassett, uh, the director for the last 23 years of the museum, told Valley News Live that the museum was a casualty of COVID. They were on a tight budget before the pandemic hit, and... There were a number of repairs needed, including the boiler that could cost tens of thousands of dollars. There was just no way to keep up. All right, folks of Fargo, let's rally together. Or you all rally together, get some grants. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the several gardens and the playground on the like outside of the site are still open to the public. Oh, okay. So, so you can still enjoy the property. Just not on the inside. The Children's Museum. Okay. And that is the Yunker Farm Children's Museum in Fargo, North Dakota. I'm very sad that it was another casualty of COVID. So many good businesses lost. So many good businesses lost, but so many happy ghosts present. And by so many, I mean one. But I'll take one happy ghost over a bunch of angry ghosts. You love a happy ghost. I love a happy haunting. (laughs) Happy haunting. (laughs) So on a skeptic scale of para to normal, Mm -hmm. para being five, normal being one, what are you going to give it? I'm going to give it a 2.5. Legit. I recognize that it is not my strongest story, but I just didn't want to not share it. (laughs) No, that's how we, it's a story to tell. It is a story to tell. I was going to go just a straight three. Okay. Um, I think that it is totally reasonable 
that a woman who lived her life, even after her husband died, on the property and was happy to have kids around would stick around. The stuff with the well at the end mm. did just like it. That was like, eh. Eh. Yeah, it was a little too with with her projecting the drowning sensation on everyone, like to the point where they could only stay there a couple minutes. It just it, too Samara from the ring. Oh, yep, legit. But also, it just I don't I don't know. Like, mm, you'd think you'd be able to find information about a little girl. That, yeah, who that's fell what, down a well. That's what I was thinking. I, I feel like I should have been able to find news stories about a death on the property. Ah, uh, yeah. It makes sense that Elizabeth was stuck around there. Right. But like if a if a kid died, there would have been a newspaper article that I would have been able to find with a Google search. Based on all of the things I have been able to find with a Google search. I mean, just look at baby Jessica. There you go. Very true. I believe that her story when she got caught down in the mm-hmm. crevice, I think that that was the very first time where people were invested in like a 24-hour news cycle. Before that, we didn't have that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, people are really interested in kids in wells. <laughs> I mean, they don't want them to be in the well is what, what they're, they're inve- so they're invested, invested in, in. They're invested in getting kids out of wells. Yes, 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 yes. yes. I mean, they're, how often was that the, like, this time storyline for Lassie? I, I was literally just about to say, <laughs> like, in the Lassie versus the well scenario, we're all on the side of Lassie. And I'm actually not sure how many times he fell in the well or if that was just the most prominent story. And now it's it's going to be some sort of Mandela effect where he never fell in the well. That's just <laughs> what we always know. I just think of uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer when Spike is yelling at the TV because Passions is on. Mm-hmm. And or no, he's yelling at Giles because Passions is on, and he's like, "Timmy's caught in the well, and if I miss it," and Giles is like, "You'll what? Lick me to death, <laughs> <laughs> or something like that." I don't know. That's all I can think of. Um, before I tell my story, you have to do a joke. Oh yes, jokes. I love she, she shakes the pack like it's gonna like mix them up or something. <laughs> They're cards. <laughs> They're pretty snug in there. <laughs> Which boats do vampires travel in? Canoes? Blood vessels. Oh my <laughs> God. Okay, that it makes a lot more sense than a canoe, but a canoe is the most coffin-like shaped one. <laughs> Why did the Cyclops give up teaching? Because he was too one-sided. He only had one pupil. <laughs> this is one of those moments where we need to be a video podcast. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Sorry. Yep. Ooh. That was my response. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> so I have a story for you as well. Okay. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Tonight, I'm going to tell you about the St. James Catholic Church and Cemetery, a.k.a. the St. James SAG Church. SAG. Like Screen Actors Guild? Yeah. That's what I think of every time. Uh, I I just think SAG is a funny word. SAG. That's probably why when they call me, because I get calls from the SAG-AFTRA, it Mm -hmm. always shows up as just AFTRA. 
<laughs> they just leave the, the SAG out of it. They're like, we know SAG is a hilarious it's, word. It's going to confuse people if we call in the color agent just, just a SAG. We're just going after a. After a. <laughs> Uh, so it is located in the unincorporated community of Sag Bridge near Lamont, Illinois. That Back bridge in- can't be very safe because it's a uh-huh. Sag Bridge. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm going to make so many Sag jokes. Sorry. Continue. Uh, the St. <laughs> James Catholic Church is one of the oldest practicing Catholic communities in the Midwest. Okay. Okay. Built atop a bluff overlooking a valley, this location has been used for centuries as a lookout, first by the indigenous people of the area and later by the French explorers who used the land as early as the 1690s to build their fort. That is a very old community. Yeah. So in the story of the cemetery versus church, the cemetery came first. (laughs) How do I get chicken and the egg? (laughs) Chicken and the egg. Church in the cemetery, you know, hand which, in hand. Which one, which one came first? We don't know. Oh, we do, though. In the cemetery. Okay. The cemetery came first with one burial that can be traced back to 1816 and which now holds approximately 5,000 to 7,000 graves on about eight acres of land. That's a That's a crowded body of land. Right? Like, I don't have a very good spatial awareness for such a large location yeah but that seems that still seems very very high. full yeah yeah uh-huh they're just stacking bodies on bodies on bodies probably it's very likely i was gonna say something funny but i couldn't think of anything it's just no one likes bodies on bodies on bodies that's, it's not because it's not funny it's just true it's <laughs> Uh, whereas the saint james church wasn't founded until 1833 so 17, 18 years later, when Father St. Sear started it to accommodate the faith of the Irish workers who were building the Illinois and Michigan Canal. Back then, the first iteration of the church was a simple log cabin. This and other small makeshift places of worship were used for the next 20 years until the cornerstone of what we now know as St. James Catholic Church was laid in October of 1853. Over the next four years, construction was completed using limestone extracted from a nearby valley, making it the second oldest Catholic house of worship founded in the Chicago area. It's old. It's it's very old. I'm trying to like uh, equate that amount of time in my brain. I know so much it's, of it is like I, I'm just automatically converting it to 1953. Yeah. And that's not. No, no. It's way older, way older than, than that. that. Yeah. Yeah. And we're not really going to go into any more details about the history of the location because it sounds like right off the bat, it was haunted. Like, right, like from the minute they built it? Yeah. Uh, uh, a little, a little after 10 years, actually. Okay, that's still. A decade in. When it comes down to something this old, that's like the minute they built it. Basically, basically. <laughs> so Chicago historian and folklorist Ursula Bielski wrote in her 1999 book, Chicago Haunts, that she found evidence that the phantom monks have been seen at the location as early as 1847. I'm sorry, the the what? Phantom monks. Okay. So we're just diving right in. Yeah, like, like 1847. Not just ghosts, straight up phantom monks. And actually, because it took four years to 
build. It's like less than 10 years in. Phantom monks. Boom. <laughs> also, a, a little side note. Ursula Bielski, her little bio, which was associated with one of her books, uh, says that she is a Chicago historian and folklorist specializing in cemetery history and the folklore of the preternatural. A respected paranormal researcher, she is the author of nine books on Chicago ghost lore and cemetery history and has been studying the settlement folklore and culture of Bachelors Grove for nearly three decades. This was obviously for her book about Bachelors Grove. Okay, so Bachelors Grove, which we've covered, you covered. I covered it in And then I visited. Yep. Amazing. How do we get this job? That is what I was going to say. (laughs) This sounds like an absolute dream job. Can someone please tell me how, if I can make a, a, a living wage off of being a cemetery and folklore historian? So hear me out. I mean this with all the love in the world. Yes. Fuck cars. <laughs> and fuck the- That was a wheezy laugh. <laughs> fuck cars and fuck the businesses of Duluth for our two jobs. I just want to know, how can I like get on this whole studying graveyards and folklore career goal life? Well, that's just it. Because I don't know if she does it as like a part-time job. Is it a, like a, a passion project? Does she come from family money? I don't yeah, come from yeah. family money. And neither so. do I. So again, like, I don't want to, when I say it, it's said with all the love. Like, when I say fuck cars, I don't mean that seriously. Especially don't. not fucking the businesses of Duluth. No, 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 no. Don't cancel Girly me. Girlyton. <laughs> don't cancel me for this. I just, I want to abandon my life as it is and study cemeteries. That's what I want. Amazing. <laughs> I know. Amazing. When I say that, I mean our job specifically so that we can go do something else. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, look, if someone wants to write us into their will, if some paranormal cemetery loving older human would love to write us in their will (laughs) so that we can we can live out our dream and possibly their dream of studying cemeteries and folklore. I'm just saying, I would be interested in that. Me too. You can leave what I said in or cut it out, whatever you want to do. I just realized it's going to have like, to stay. It's going to have to stay. Otherwise, but now this I'm isn't like, oh man, sense. everybody could just take that as they will. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh yeah, Kayla of Left of Skeptic hates Duluth businesses. Look, as long as I I'm not accused of hating Duluth businesses, <laughs> I was the one who said it, not you. And uh, I didn't mean it that way. I just want us to be able to do this all the time that's what i want anyway so phantom monks have allegedly been seen since before the actual stone church was even built while other spirits have more documented appearance that can be traced back to at least 1897 so documented like like a september 20th of 1897 article in the chicago tribune Oh, oh, so real, real documented. Yeah. So this article told the story of two musicians who had come to the church to provide the musical entertainment for a parish event. <laughs> Getting down with it. Uh, Professor William Looney, a violinist, <laughs> and John Kelly, a harpist. Uh, and when the performance was completed, it was around like 1 a.m. 
because the folks were really hooping it up at St. James. Hoop, hoop. And since it was so late, the two sober young lads, uh, the police report would later call them fine, sober young fellows. (laughs) Well, they opted to stay in a small building on the property instead of traveling all the way back home because it's Chicago and it's just outside of Chicago. But it's nighttime and September and it was probably chilly and there would be riding on horseback probably, I would assume. That'd be very cold. Legit. I just think it's funny that they emphasized sober. Yes, they were. They needed to make sure this report pointed out that they weren't just like drunk and saw something. Right. Yep. Right. No drugs. No drugs. uh, No drank. William Looney and John Kelly. So in the middle of the night, William was awakened by the sound of galloping hooves on the gravel road near the building that they were staying in. He got up, he looked out the window, but saw nothing, and gradually the sound faded. There's more to it than that, though. That would be really boring. (laughs) He woke up John uh, to tell him what had happened when the two of them heard the sound again. This time, when the men looked out the window, they saw a carriage being pulled by snow white horses with lights shining from their head, apparently being hailed by the faded form of a young woman with raven black hair, long raven black hair, who had a, quote, deep melancholy reflective sepulchral, which apparently means gloomy, eyes, (laughs) and she was wearing white. So long dark hair, gloomy eyes. And, and wearing white, wearing white, and and ca- traveling with horses that have headlights. Yeah, uh, the literal I, definition of headlights, because <laughs> there were lights on their head. I have a picture to okay. show you. All right, I'm ready for it. So this is the photo that showed up with the uh, Chicago News Tribune article. Ha! I was right. They are headlights. They're lights on the horsey head. Yeah, it's just like shining out of their head, which is uh, an occurrence I've never heard of before in regards to ghostly horses. No, I feel like typically they're just like kind of misty and there. Yeah, no, this is very abrupt. Yeah. It's very like in your face. It's like spotlights coming out of their head. Okay, okay. As the carriage flew past the woman, she then sank into the ground, after which the carriage disappeared. And this scene of sorts, played over and over again all night long. And the only change was that after a while, they could hear the young woman call, come on, as she disappeared. That's a, like, that's a lure you to your death kind of scenario. Well, luckily, that's not what happened. Okay, good. These young, sober musicians did not get (laughs) lured to their death. These respectable, sober young fellows. (laughs) They did not get lured lured to their death. (laughs) In the morning, the two men reported what they had seen to the police, who I don't know, probably didn't really do anything about it, because what can the police do about that situation? Nothing. Uh, Nothing. But they they wrote it down. Okay. I guess. Uh, And their story was eventually shared with the public in the article called Spooks at Sag Bridge. Two Chicago men assert they saw a veritable ghost. Uh, But John and William were not the only ones to have seen her. So over the years, there have been others who have witnessed her reenactment, leading some folks to speculate that it is a residual haunting of some tragic event embedded in the fabric of time and space. That 
embedded in the fabric of time and space was a direct quote from an article. I'm, I'm dramatic, but not that <laughs> dramatic. And while an official story of the woman in white seems to be lost to time, the unofficial story is that once upon a time, a young assistant to the priest had fallen in love with a church housekeeper and unable to deny their feelings for each other, the two decided to elope. Okay, okay. We love a good ghostly elopement story. I know. I mean, who doesn't love love? Love love. Love love. The man told his bride-to-be to wait for him partway down the hill from the church while he hitched the horses. But as they were heading down the road, something startled the horses, causing them to bolt. The wagon overturned, and both of them were killed. Oh, I know. In 1977, those pesky phantom monks appeared again. Actually, they had been seen on and off since about 1897, but this time they were more interactive. <laughs> those pesky phantom monks. In the wee morning hours, the day after Thanksgiving in 1977, a police officer by the name of Herb Roberts reportedly encountered nine monks robed figures on the side of the on the other side of the gate at St. James Cemetery. He told them to stop or don't move or freeze or whatever it is that police officers yell randomly at people who are just hanging out. Uh, and they just ignored him. And then they just walked away. Because you know what? When you're a ghost, you don't give a fuck about being shot. Well, and I mean, he thought they were real people. So they're just like, we don't have time for you, sir. <laughs> we are hooded and we're on a mission. <laughs> At this, Officer Roberts and another officer from the Cook County Sheriff's Department chased the monk-like figures throughout the grounds of St. James. But allegedly, even with the aid of canine patrol, they were unable to find the figures. So Dale Kazmarek... We'll see how many different ways I say his last name. Dale Kazmarek, for now, uh, president of the Ghost Research Society and author of books like Windy City Ghosts and Field Guide to Ghost Hunting Techniques, said of the incident, in a two-page report, they, the police, stated that they didn't think that they were real people at all, but some kind of phantom manifestation. Wait, they straight up put that in the police report? Yeah, yeah. And the conclusion that they were not real is something that they had apparently come to because of the way that the figures moved. So they originally thought that they were people, but then as they were chasing them, these figures would glide up the hill in the cemetery in unison and in complete silence while the officers were tripping over headstones and uneven terrain while in their pursuit. Okay. So they're like, we don't think they're real people. <laughs> They That's were the way... only reason why they're so graceful and we were not. <laughs> they're way too graceful to be naturally human. Exactly. So the figures had disappeared at the point at which the officers should have been able to like intersect with them. And when the trained police dogs were brought onto the scene, they actually couldn't pick up the scent from anyone. Oh, okay. This kind of sighting was also confirmed by one of the church's former priests. Father Raymond Plazinski, who died in the rectory on May 10th, 1970, confided to friends and loved ones on his deathbed that he often looked out the window of the rectory at night where he would see shadowy monk-like figures or people dressed in robes. 
hanging out in a cemetery. Can you imagine living in a rectory by yourself? Because Catholic priests live by themselves. Yes. You're just hanging out in a rectory and there's just like these ghostly hooded figures just roaming the property outside. Absolutely not. Right. You'd be like, I guess I will lock the door. <laughs> and hope that's enough. I know. Yeah. Right. Um, do I hang up my cross right there? But they're monks. <laughs> Does Is holy gonna- water work against spectral Monk monks? <laughs> Uh, no, even worse. There's something even worse that he had to experience. So more eerily, he also told them that sometimes he would look out over the cemetery grounds and see it rising and falling as if the earth was breathing. No, I don't like breathing land. I don't like that. (laughs) I don't like that at all. Look, we just need to let Mother Earth breathe. Yeah, but I don't want to see it. Oh, okay. Like the... The, the rise and the fall of the ground. <laughs> no, thanks. That's what the oceans are for. <laughs> if I want to see Mother Earth breathe, I'll see it in Lake Superior. Thank you very much. <laughs> in a 2021 article in the Chicago Times, Dale Kazmarek. I don't remember if that's what I, I said I think before. that's very similar to what okay, you said good. before. Yeah, Dale. He explains that skeptics are always trying to discount the written reports of paranormal activity at St. James uh, by either dismissing them altogether or by insisting that people are seeing something else, like Father Blaskinski's successor, a man named J- Father George Aschenbrenner, who would, quote, Go out onto the grounds at night around Halloween time and chase away kids who got in there. So just very straightforward. Like, I got this handled. Dude, he would dress in his black cassock and he would shine a flashlight under his chin and yell, get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) All the kids saw was a screaming disembodied floaty. All the kids saw was a screaming, disembodied, floating head in the dark, starting the idea of a screaming skull. It was just a way to keep people out of the cemetery at night. And upon his death in 1999, his friends remembered seeing him chasing trespassers, running down the hill, shouting through a bullhorn, and waving his flashlight. This earned him the nickname, The Mad Monk. just have this... I just have this image in my head of like one of the priests I grew up with just running down a hill going like boogity boogity. And while this is actually pretty funny. Yeah. (laughs) And would definitely lead to an amazing urban legend. It still doesn't explain all of the reports about the St. James Church and Cemetery. See, not all of the trespassers were scared away by a bullhorn. Some middle-of-the-night unwanted visitors were allegedly apprehended by the monks and forced to kneel on ball bearings all night long in prayer. Ow! Others have reported seeing a procession of figures dressed in black monk robes roaming the field just east of St. James at night, carrying books and candles and chanting in a language that sounds like Latin. And there are even reports of folks talking to a group of individuals whose faces were covered with scars and were dressed entirely in black. So some people see a procession of folks. Other people have stumbled upon people that they've had actual conversations with. Okay, this is giving me uh, the bringers from Buffy the Vampire Slayer vibes. 
Ew. Scarred faces. Yeah. Trying to like offer things up. Now, I, I don't know if the bringers ever made anybody kneel on ball bearings, but it's still like, ugh. you know, I don't like it. I don't like it at all either. I just don't like it. And you know what's kind of gross though? <laughs> Other than all of this? <laughs> yes. What? <laughs> so it's really funny. I wrote these like a week ago. I don't remember what's coming next. <laughs> so I just have, you know what's kind of gross though? What? Oh, uh, there are all of these reports that date back over a hundred years of people saying monks here. I mm-hmm. remember now. Uh, but there were never any monks that lived here. Oh. Ever. People have been seeing monks since the mid-1800s, but there have never been monks there. So this whole time, it's like when there was a church there, it was just a church with a priest. Yep. And maybe a deacon. Like Maybe. Yeah. So there, there was never like a monastery. No. And they've been seeing them again since like right after the church was built. I don't like that. So what, like, what about, okay, did they say anything about, because you were talking about it's like one of the oldest communities. Mm-hmm. Did they say anything about Mm-mm. a different, like before the church was built? Nothing? Mm-mm. I don't like that. Yeah. The, the oldest community thing is just that when the French fort was there, the people who lived there practice Catholicism. Oh. Well, that's yeah. just, that's it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't like that at all. No, because like, where did they come from? Ugh. Why? Why are there monks there? <laughs> to release the first evil. Nothing shall grow above or below. They're very, very bad. Yeah, I I hope never to see a ghostly monk. Yeah, I, I could live without that for sure. Yeah. Just add that to our list of paranormal fears that have come up from this podcast. Monks. Monks. <laughs> More recent reports per ghostresearch.org state that a phantom black stallion has been galloping through the grounds at night and that the face of the devil has allegedly appeared in the rectory window. Okay. The the phantom ghost horse thing, not a fan. Not a fan. The devil, I could see just because I feel like people are prompted to see a devil in a church window. Mm, mm, mm -hmm. So it's not that... They actually see it. It just seems like something that could easily come about. When you're at a church that's surrounded by a cemetery, like, ooh, I saw the devil. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's probably what that uh, group of nine hooded figures were worshiping. Yeah, obviously. It was actually, no, it was the devil horse in the window. We're just going to start. We're just going to start mixing these together. Blending everything together. Okay, okay. Uh, there is also a large statue that's located on the top of the hill that has been seen to move or change positions from time to time. And there are isolated reports of ghost lights bobbing among the tombstones. Okay, okay. That's that's pretty standard cemetery behavior. Yeah. Uh, happened at the Bachelor's Grove Cemetery. Yep. And folks have even reported phantom smells. Mm. Like lilacs and honeysuckle. Oh, I thought that was going to go a different way. Uh, but they smelled this in the dead of winter, so there was no actual flowers around to make those smells, so they don't know why. Yeah, I think if I smelled lilacs in the, in the middle of winter, I would find that unnerving. I love the smell of lilacs. Right, but I would be like, but where? But where? That and doesn't why? make sense. What are yeah. we doing? And that is the St. James Church and Cemetery. I like that a lot. It's very classically spooky. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I just, I still don't understand the monk thing. Neither do Weirds I. Weirds me out. Don't like it. I don't like that either. I'm going to, on our skeptic scale of paranormal, I'm going to give this a four. For the reason that the police put it into a report. Yeah. I think that, I mean, generally, if you look back on history, Police that claim that they saw something. I mean, just looking even just at the history of stories we've covered. Right. Police that say they've saw something, whether it be a ghost or an alien or something otherworldly, generally get mocked. Oh, they're ridiculed. So if you are willing to put that in a report and you are standing that solidly by it, you better fucking believe that that's what you saw. Because if it's going to get you attention, it's not going to be good attention. Especially when in that same sentence, you're describing how unfit you are. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I was running up and tripping over like tombstones and uneven ground. And they were the only two there. Like they didn't have to explain how these hooded figures just, like, waft up the yeah. hill. They yeah. could have lied. They could have lied. I mean, honestly, at that point, as a police officer, you could have just been like, we were chasing some teenagers out of the local cemetery, and everybody would have bought it. I know. Like, damn, like, they were spry. Yep. But no, they they went with the full report, so I'm going to go four. Okay. You know what? I will match your four for the same reason. I love that. Uh, I have something I want to discuss with you. Okay. So we know Haunted Rooms. Yes. It is a website that we use frequently. Uh-huh. But more for... Uh, more for inspiration rather than reference. Uh, I sometimes use it as reference, but uh, not as the solo source. Yeah, you always, like, double-check things. Yes. Yes. So... This came up when I was looking because we've been keeping it close to Midwesty uh-huh. the last few episodes. And so I was trying to find something else local. Okay. And that's where I ended up in Fargo. That's close enough to local. Right, right. But I did find a list that I wanted us to discuss at the end of this episode real quick. Of okay. The Haunted Rooms list of most haunted locations in Duluth. I feel like I've looked at this list before and went, okay. And that's why I wanted to discuss it because (laughs) I'm, it's like, it's one of those things where everything on this list we've either covered Mm -hmm. or we can't cover because there's not enough information on, on it to like put on the podcast. Right. So I'm not spoiling anything or any future locations, but especially considering how many listeners we have from or near the area. Right. I think it's a worthwhile discussion. Well, I'm excited. Let's uh, give it a go. So Haunted Rooms says, Duluth is one of Minnesota's major port cities and is the largest metropolitan area on the shores of the Lake Superior. One of the city's claims to fame is that it is apparently the birthplace of pie a la mode, which is pie served with a scoop of ice cream. Did you know that we are apparently the birthplace of pie a la mode? No. If anything, we're the birth birthplace of pizza rolls are we really oh my god i didn't yeah. know that oh yeah no pizza rolls were uh discovered were they were <laughs> discovered those sweet little hot little lava pockets <laughs> were discovered here they were created here yeah. all right Ju- giuliani the giuliani the oh. i had no idea about this. family oh yeah no all right Y'all, pizza rolls are from duluth all right good to know So it says, 
However, Duluth is also known as something of a hotbed of paranormal activity. Let's take a closer look at some of the most haunted places in Duluth, Minnesota. Okay. Number eight, Denfeld Auditorium. I've heard this. I also have heard it is haunted. Uh, So for those of you who are not local, Denfeld is a West Duluth high school. It's like right in between where Kayla and I live too. Yep. And supposedly it is haunted as heck. The story linked to this location says that a former teacher at the school died there and is still lingering. This spirit is said to hang out backstage, often rearranging backdrops and messing with scripts, props, and costumes. There are also reports of disembodied voices backstage, and if anything is left on stage overnight, it is almost always tidied away the following morning. So That's just safety. That's just safety. Right. But So apparently, Denfeld Auditorium. Okay. Haunted. Number seven. The William A. Irvin. Episode one, baby. Episode one, baby. I covered that location. Uh, The William A. Irvin is another spot that is said to be one of the most haunted places in Duluth. It is best known for being a haunted attraction with live actors over the Halloween season, a.k.a. Mm -hmm. the spooky canoe. A.k.a. the haunted ship. Yep, exactly. (laughs) Um, But few people realize it is genuinely haunted, too. The most common sighting that employees relate to is a lady in white that has been seen walking around the ship. She is usually up on deck and dressed in period clothing. Nobody has ever identified who she is or why she is tied to the vessel. That does line up with what we talked about in the episode. We had a whole conversation about why she was there. Yep. The stuff that doesn't line up that says that uh, another two men are haunting the ship. One stays in front and apparently does not understand what has happened to him. And the other sticks to the rear of the ship and has confirmed that he died after falling from a ladder. We didn't find anything like that. There was the uh, gentleman who died after the boiler room incident. Yeah, he got scolded to death. Yeah. Yeah. Scalded. Scalded. scolded. <laughs> he got, you, and then he died. No. Um, Soldier boy did it? <laughs> You. (laughs) What you couldn't see is I was wagging my finger when I said the you. So I thought it was a scolding, but yeah, it was very soldier boy. If you don't have the visual to go along with it. All right. (laughs) Number six. Okay. Anger Tower. I've heard that, uh, but I think just from listicles such as this. Yeah, I have never actually had a person tell me a story of seeing any. Like Denfeld, I've heard people that went to Denfeld tell me that Denfeld is haunted. Yep. I've never actually heard a local tell me that Anger Tower is haunted. No. And why? Supposedly, there is a local legend that a man committed suicide in 1948 by jumping off the fifth level of the tower. He didn't even get all the way to the top? I... I, I is the fifth level the top level? I have no idea. It's really tall. It's been a very long time since I've gone to Anger because I don't golf. And Anger has like frisbee golf and golf. Yeah. So like there's really not a reason for me to go to Anger. Uh, but apparently people who visit Anger Tower say they have seen a man on the fifth floor of the tower before they enter. And when they reach the top, he is no longer there. Since there is no other exit, this has baffled many visitors. Mm. Okay. okay. So supposedly Anger Tower. Number five, The Depot. Okay. I've heard that. I have not heard that really, like not in stories, but it makes sense. It's a very old building. During 2020, during all the lockdowns, someone who works at The Depot uh, walked around and did like ghost tours 
Oh, nice. And talked about the hauntings. I didn't watch any of them, but I hear it was good. Supposedly, there have been uh, many stories of people who worked there and visitors who have caught spirits like attention. And there has been a apparition caught on camera, though they didn't link to the apparition caught on camera. Okay. Uh, you know, I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense because there are a bunch of actual trains in our depot. Yeah. Like the the basement is full of trains. trains. Yep. So, and, and people die on and trains. And trains still come in and out of there regularly. It is a functional depot. Yeah. Number four, Griggs Hall at UMD. Never heard of it. Neither. I mean, I've heard, I mean, of, I've heard of Griggs, Griggs Hall. Hall, but yeah, I had but never heard that they were haunted. Not once. Apparently, the bathroom for Griggs is haunted. There is not just one, but two ghosts that make their home there. They are both believed to be former students who died of alcohol poisoning, and the spirits manifest mainly in the forms of sounds and smells. Witnesses have reported hearing moaning, cursing, and retching sounds and smelling a foul aroma. Basically saying somebody got alcohol poisoning and now they are forever smelling the drunk puking. That's a horrible afterlife. Yeah. That's terrible. Oh. Ugh. All right. Number three. Glensheen Mansion. Covered already by Brittany in episode one. I mean, we've talked about that so many times. I know we talk about Glensheen a lot. We talk about Glensheen a lot. Glensheen number three. I'm kind of surprised it's not number one. But that's what that's what Haunted Rooms rated it, was I, number three. I have a feeling I know which one is number one. Let me see if I am correct. Number two, the Duluth International Airport. Why? <laughs> when you think about haunted places, airport is not the first place you would think of. However, it does not change the fact that Duluth International Airport is one of the most haunted places in Duluth, Minnesota. It is haunted by the ghost of a lady who was murdered nearby. Security guards have seen the woman on a number of occasions, and she has also been known to set off the security alarms and make doors open and close by themselves. It has been suggested that the reason she haunts the airport is that her killer ran there to hide after stabbing her, and now she is forever searching for him in order to seek her revenge upon him. I had never heard this before this list. Okay, I need someone who has connections with the Duluth International Airport to let me know is this real yeah I was very that's the number like none of these things were necessarily surprising right I was like okay Griggs I didn't know Griggs was haunted but whatever it's it, people like like with your Wells University story people right. spread stories about haunted universities all the time right but the airport really yeah also, it's a really tiny airport it's super small y'all <laughs> it's like <laughs> a really tiny airport <laughs> Number one, and I know you know it, and I know I know it, No Pumming Sanatorium. I assume that was number one. And I covered that in episode three, and we had a few different listener stories submitted about oh, No Pumming. Oh, yeah, we did. Uh, and we've talked about that a few different times. It was a sanatorium. Lots of people died from tuberculosis, and it is supposedly haunted. There's disembodied laughter, shadow figures in tunnels, moaning, screaming, doors opening and closing, all those standard things. So, I wanted to discuss this a little bit because I just feel like we've gone so far away from being able to cover things in Duluth. We've talked about revisiting mm -hmm. a couple of the locations because it's been now almost three years. Right. And so, it'd be, it'd be a nice thing to revisit, but we can't even cover most of these because there's not enough stories on them. There's not enough, like, 
stuff behind it to throw out there. Yeah. But this is a list when you Google haunted Duluth or even haunted Minnesota, this is often a top like result. How do you feel about that being the representation of our haunted little city? You know, honestly, I'm okay with all of it, except for the airport and the airport (laughs) being number two. Like, yeah, why is it number two? I feel like Glen Sheen should have been number two. I agree. And I feel like the the airport should have been like eight. Yeah. I I think or maybe just not on the list. (laughs) Well, who knows? Maybe there are listeners out there who have had tons of ghosts. People fly out from Duluth all the time. Please let me know. All right. So if you have any experiences from here that we haven't heard about, I want to hear them because I've often wanted to cover like anger. Anger was on my list for a long time. Mm -hmm. Denfeld was on my list for a long time. But there's just not enough to support it being a part of an episode. So if there's stories out there, we want to hear them. I do know that there was a listener story on real life ghost stories, which is interesting because that is a London based podcast. Oh, they've had several Duluth stories. And one of them talked about um, around the area where the homegrown field is. For Chester? Yeah, how that's super haunted. Well, that's interesting because that's where you were near when you had your portal issue. Exactly. Oh. Yeah, Chester, I have heard, honestly, I don't know why it didn't make the list because I've heard countless things by people who are not as spooky inclined as we are that Chester is said to be haunted, like up and down the, the river. But then there are places that I've heard from locals that are heckin' haunted, and they didn't make the list. Like, why was Sir Benedict's Tavern not on that list? Mm. And why was the North Shore Theater oh. not on that list? That's what I'm saying. So this is my call to action. Locals that listen, if you if you have a story, or you know somebody that has a story, I want to hear it because we have... We did the local thing very early on, Mm -hmm. and then we ran out of stuff, so we had to branch out, and I'm not against it. But, man, I'd love to bring things back to local if we could at all. Well, it's kind of like Prophecy Girls. They have their hot stakes. Yeah. Like, I would love to hear the hot stakes of local hauntings. The hot stakes, the haunted stakes. The hot haunted stakes. I mean, the stakes part only makes sense because it's about vampires. (laughs) Yeah. The, The hot haunted... The haunted takes? Haunted takes. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you have something you'd like to submit, you can do so by emailing us directly, leftofskeptic at gmail.com. You can also visit our website, www.leftofskeptic.com, and click the listener stories tab on the top of the page. You can also get there by clicking the link tree in any of our bios. You can choose to remain anonymous or include your name, whichever you are most comfortable with. We just ask that you please include your pronouns. You can also follow us on social media. We are on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Left of Skeptic and Facebook at Left of Skeptic Podcast. Well, we want to thank y'all for joining us this week. Uh, We are getting close to the Christmas season, so look forward to a kind of Christmassy Oh, Christmassy vibe mm, next week that we yeah, got for yep, you. Yep, 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 yep. yep. And uh, if you also have any suggestions for True Crime January, feel free to throw those in there. Yeah, yeah. So we're looking for crime stories that also have a haunting aftermath. Exactly. Well, thank you all for joining us. We love you and appreciate you. It's true, we do. Happy Spooky Wednesday. Happy Spooky Wednesday. Okay, okay bye. bye.
The Left of Skeptic podcast is written and hosted by Kayla Moria and Brittany Lind. This week's episode is edited by me, Brittany Lind. The Left of Skeptic music is by Dave Melling and Emily Havoc, and our artwork is by Al LeBlanc. Okay, bye! Uh, I love Adam Driver. He is a beautiful man. I like to think that one day he could be in a thruple with me and my husband. You practiced that song before, haven't you? I bet you have. I may have thought about it.